0: Hey, welcome back language professionals from around the world to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. And in case we've not yet met, I am Mireya, your host. Thanks for spending this time with me and with today's guest, which by the way, is a special guest with a special topic. Today we'll have the incredible opportunity to learn from an author of a book that quickly has become one of my favorite books, which we will get into eventually in just a bit. I very intentionally wanted to bring a topic early in the year that would help to inspire and motivate our work for the months to come. So today we'll be touching on the topic of creativity. It's something that I feel that perhaps many of us don't pay enough attention to. And if you're the type of person that's thinking right now, creativity is only for the artists like the painters or sculptors or musicians or stuff like that, then this episode is especially for you. So stick with me today for another great guest with another great message. And if you enjoy today's episode, please Feel free to share it on your social media and tag Brand the Interpreter and let me know what you think or what were your highlights for this particular episode. Okay, and now on with the show. Joey Caffone is the founder and CEO of Baron Fig, an award-winning designer and entrepreneur and author of the number one bestselling, The Laws of Creativity. Joey has designed and art-directed over 100 products from zero to launch, His work has been featured in Fast Company, Bloomberg, New York Magazine, Newsweek, Bon Appetit, Quartz, Mashable, Print, and more. Joy was named a new visual artist and, separately, Wonderkind Designer by Print Magazine. He is also a first-place winner of the American Institute of Graphic Arts Design Competition, Command X. Joy strives to make work that appeals to curious minds, work that's beautiful, smart, and communicative. He believes that design is the least of a designer's worries, that story is at the heart of all tasks, and jumping off cliffs is the only way to grow. He lives in New York City with his wife, Ariana, and his dog and writing buddy, Luigi. So, without further ado, please help me welcome Joey Caffone to the show. Joey, welcome to the show. It is such an honor and a privilege to have you here today. I'm trying really hard not to sound squeaky because then everyone knows that I'm super excited when I'm using my high-pitched tone. <laughs> so welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Maria. I'm excited. And hello, everybody out there.
0: It's amazing to have the opportunity to speak to the author of what's now become one of my favorite books. Um, and so the, to have the opportunity to have you here, it's, i Okay, now I'm at a loss of words.
1: <laughs> well, I'm honored. About that. I mean, so, I, I don't think anyone has said that yet that I know of. So thank you so much.
0: Yeah, uh, it's right alongside it. Atomic Habits with James Clear. And so, you know, if we combine those two together. I think, oh, my goodness, it's it's a concoction for some amazing things. At yeah. least personally, you know, I feel like my mind goes wild with with ideas. And, and that always is a great feeling. So Anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited for our conversation today.
1: Thank you. I actually, it's funny you mentioned Atomic Habits. I talked to James before I wrote the book and I was asking him, you know, uh, a bunch of questions about, um, you know, what to, what's a good idea to start with and focus on. And he gave me some great advice. I think he spent like an hour, a couple of times.
0: Wow. Chatting with me. Yeah. Lucky you. Amazing. <laughs> you know, very yes.
1: grateful. Good dude.
0: Well, I get to do that with you today and I'm, and I'm just honored. And, and, and aside from being honored and, and, you know, being excited about having this conversation, I'm even more excited to be able to share it with the audience of this podcast that knows that from time to time, I bring in conversations that can help inspire the work that we do as language professionals. And so I have no doubt that today's episode is going to do just that. Um, So how about we get started? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about Joey. Would you mind sharing with us just where you grew up and perhaps a fond childhood memory of yours?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Joey Caffone. I am Italian. I grew up in North Jersey. Um, What can I tell you about my childhood? I was raised by a single mom and uh, she moms. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. She uh, she did some heavy lifting, you know, as, as this one person in charge of raising a kid um, and uh, fond memory, uh, totally unrelated to anything. But one night I'm in bed speaking of my mom and she is shakes me out of my sleep. And she goes, "You got to come downstairs. Like it's, it's 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 important." And I'm like, you know, groggy. I must have been like six. Like, okay, mom. And I go downstairs, and there's a Looney Tunes special on. And she sits me down after my bedtime, and we watch the whole thing, and then she puts me back to bed. And I have no idea why that came up right now, or why I still remember it. <laughs> but that was a special moment.
0: That's that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> No, that's beautiful. And I think that's yeah. why I like asking those questions, because we don't even realize what's the first thing that comes to mind. And yeah. and um, yeah, like in your in your case and Looney Tunes being such a creative cartoon, that was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. So, so um, yeah, totally having to do with with uh, what we'll be talking about today. Joey, let's get into talking about how the topic of creativity first came to into your life? I mean, I know that this is something like, wait a minute, aren't, are we all born with it? Or mm. is this something that we learn? But how did this topic start to show up now that you think back in, in your life?
1: Yeah, well, I start the book with this story is there was a formative moment that could have set me down any number of paths, depending on how a teacher responded. So it was seventh grade. I walk into class and we get this little worksheet to color a cartoon worm. Uh, So I take mine and I go to my desk and I'm like, I am going to make the best worm ever. okay? and I get my crayons out and I put my arm over the paper and I color this thing and I cut it out and I go to put it up on the board. And I my heart drops because I look at this thing and all of even though they're all kind of different as a collection, they're the same. They feel the same mind. Doesn't feel any different. So I go back to my desk and I think I'm close to tears as a little seven-year-old Joey. And I'm sitting there with my head in my hands, probably trying not to cry. When I look down and on my desk, I see the shards of paper that I had cut the worm out from and a light ticks on and I realize I can use them. So I make a boom box, a necklace, a microphone. I cut them out. I attach them to the worm. I put that up on the board. Now, here's the moment. The teacher comes up behind me. All the students gather around. The assistant teacher comes up as well. And I'm sort of like shaking because it's an electric moment. And I'm nervous. Am I going to get yelled at? Well, the teacher says, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And boom, just like that, I was addicted to the feeling of doing something different that got people to look and pay attention. And so now that was seven years old. So we're talking like 30 years later, here I am having been trying to optimize for that feeling so many times over my life. And Mm -hmm. so this, what I found out later is called creativity. um, And I had intended to write a book about it, you know, by the, by the, my teens, I knew that And I was talking to my wife during the pandemic, I'm going to write this book. And she goes, you know, if you don't write it now while we're stuck at home for what would be like two years, you're never going to write it. And so um, from that day, the worm all the way to the pandemic as the impetus to write, uh, that was the long line that resulted in this book.
0: Did you ever think you'd be an author? Is that something that you you had hoped for one day? Or what were your thoughts behind that?
1: Yeah, well, that's what I thought I wanted to do. Like, you know, I wanted to be a writer, an author. And I went to school for English and philosophy. And I thought I was going to go be a writer. And it just, I never angled in that direction. Because um, so I'm kind of like a go with the flow I'm 50% go with the flow, 50% like optimize in the direction I'm going, but the writing never went. And um, I was a little shocked that the opportunity kind of revealed itself. I thought maybe, you know, maybe when I'm done, when I retire, I'll write this book about all I learned. Um, But the pandemic gave me an opportunity. I'm sure a lot of us have, you know, found that extra time useful.
0: Why creativity? Why that topic? Why did you feel the urge to push out this particular topic to the world?
1: Sure. Well, there's two reasons. First, creativity matters, and I think people have it all wrong. They don't understand what it is. They think it's something only pros have, or that it's it has to do with painting and drawing, and that's not it at all. And when I've asked people, you know, over my life if they thought they were creative, the answer is almost always no. But as I learned when I first started researching, and this is the cornerstone of the book, NASA did a study that found that 98% of kids at five years old are at the creative genius level. But by adulthood, it goes to 2%. So to me, there's, there's a need for this book. There's a need for it because we have a systemic issue where we are like really doing a very good job at killing creativity. You don't go to 98 from 98 to two by accident. And so now I had a passion, I had a problem that I wanted to solve. And now there was a real reason for me to write this book.
0: Wow. Well, you know, it came right at the right time for me personally uh, when it showed up. I was sharing with you uh, pre recording that. I had an experience when I was a kid, in which um, you know I, I was super excited too because we were called into class, and whenever there was blank sheets of paper on the desk for for us, well, for me, that meant imagination, right? Mm-hmm. And I loved the, you know, I loved going in my mind, and so. I was super curious what the teacher's instructions were going to be for this blank sheet of paper. It wasn't lined. So I knew there was no writing involved. (laughs) And then, um, and then, so she said the very first instruction, there was a ruler, white sheet of paper. And the first instruction was draw a straight line across the page. Right. And, and, okay. uh, so, you know, first no rulers. So everybody just grabbed their pencil and quickly. It was like, draw a straight line. I was having such a hard time and, and, you know, I raised my hand and she's like, use your ruler. You've got a ruler, was, use your ruler. The line still look crooked. So I. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, I'm having a hard time already. And I remember she came by the desk and I said, "I cannot draw a straight line." And she said, "Well, you're just simply not creative, Maria. And Whoa. that just stayed with me for years. I am not a creative person. I am not a creative person. I so anything that oh, I thought was God. like, you know, when my imagination went wild, it was like, sit back down. You're not a creative person." And I kept that. That resonated with me for years. So when I'm trying to now, you know, I don't know, like 30 years later, <laughs> I'm like trying to, to, to break out of that and think, absolutely, I can be creative. And creativity is not what we think it is. Mm-hmm. And then I find your book. And it was just like, you know, this confirmation of everything that I'd been feeling like we can bring creativity into every aspect of the work that we're doing into the things that we do that um, you know, that help us to be creative. We just don't know that we're creative. So I'm going to ask my very first question, and I'm not trying to hide the title of the book, you guys. I'm just leaving it for later because <laughs> I know our our our, our minds want to go and look for the book, but I promise we will share the title and all the great stuff in the book. But my very first question to you, Joey, has to do with creativity, and it's what we're talking about right now. Does creativity belong to the artist's? the painters the sculptors the musicians only
1: no absolutely not i mean the creativity is is as natural as athleticism and i and that doesn't mean you need to be a- athletic you don't need to be in incredible shape athleticism is a is a is a function of the body when you're moving that's your athleticism you know athletes have it up here and regular folks over here and people who don't you know, take care of it or down here, but athleticism, whether you like it or not, is a part of the nature of being a human. And so is creativity. And so it has nothing to do with um, artists or painters, or designers, but it's, it's simply put the practice of ideas. And when you take them and use those ideas, that's self-expression. It's that simple, you know, every day as a human being, there's supposedly we have around six thousand thoughts, and so whether you want to or not, you know you're creating those thoughts, and there's an exercise of interpretation on the world, and then you take an action, and that's self-expression. And so with a few tweaks, you can basically put them to good use because you have them anyway, whether you want to or not. And um, you know I I think one of the big things that people misunderstand as well. Aside from that, it's not just these. Ah, uh, professional artists, uh, in quotes, as I'm putting them. but creativity, the other misunderstanding is that people think creativity is creating, and it's not. Creativity is just connecting. It's simply taking two ideas and putting them together. You know, and in the book, I say something like, the iPhone is just a computer and a phone mixed together, or the Avengers is just people's love of the gods mixed with um forget what i said good storytelling or whatever it is we're just combining things
0: yeah things that already exist
1: exactly already
0: out there right and then making that making that um that combination that togetherness i had someone on the show not too long ago talk about this in terms of innovation and and she she said that it's um that midpoint she's she's speaking about uh, you know, bringing in different topics in the in the discussion of the industry for language professionals, and she said it's it's in the it's in the middle point of the different disciplines where innovation is created, and so we tend to mm-hmm. isolate our work just you know solely. Let's keep it. Let's stay in our lane. Let's keep it here instead of going out and and talking to others that maybe have no absolutely no relation to what we do, uh, but yet we're able to somehow make that connection. And in that connection is where the innovation is created. So I was excited to read that in your book when you said that it's, you know, it's combining two ideas. Um, and it's not creation, it's it's right. combining it's a I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's so, it's so disappointing too, because it's such an important thing and then it's mislabeled. And then people think, well, I don't create anything.
0: Right. So then
1: I can't be creative. And it's just it's it's kind of a terrible cycle.
0: You, there's so many topics in this book that I I absolutely appreciate because um, it's they're real. They're not concepts that are out there. Now, creativity might seem like it's a concept mm. that's out there and abstract, but I think that the way you broke it down, you know, really we're able to apply it to any, anything that we're doing in our work. And part of a, of uh, the, the discussion about creativity is also the topic of limitations, which is something you also talk about in your mm. book, having to do with, you know, our self-imposed limitations, right? And it made me think about um a story i once shared about a uh a- some researchers that um, had a bunch of fleas in a jar, right? And these fleas were like jumping uh, up and down from the jar. And so they covered it. These researchers covered it with the lid. And then they walked away from it for a couple of days. And when they came back, they undid the lid and the fleas were only jumping as high as the lid. So, you know, there was this, yeah, it was this, you know, like basically limitation that, that was made. The lid was gone. They could jump out as they were doing before, but now it's, you know, there's this perceived notion that there's a lid there and there's a limit. And, and I feel like that was like, that was the idea that came when you were talking about these self-imposed limitations. You say that most limitations requires one's own permission to be applied.
1: Mm. Do
0: you be able to expand on that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it, very well said with the example of the fleas, you know, oftentimes what happens when we grow up and and we sort of construct the idea of the world in our heads, a reflection of it, so that then we can understand it better, is we forget or we're never really told that that is just a subjective interpretation and that the world itself is just peop- a bunch of people's best guess at what can work. And so what you have is these limits that are, you know, we may call them rules, for example, um, that are given to us that are made by others and not necessarily the laws of the universe, but just the rules of humans. And because of that, we then assume the laws, assume the limits on our on ourselves and forget that um, we don't have to obey them. And that's not to break the law. It's not to like steal or anything. But for example, that I said earlier, the technically the rule was cut out the color, the worm, cut it out and put it on the board. And I broke the limit by saying I have this other stuff that Mm -hmm. I can apply. And I think, you know, especially with language and the rules that are in language. I mean, we see, you know, studying English, even though I'm not a multilingual individual, just understanding English alone and how it's so subjective oftentimes where something may be grammatically correct, but it isn't understandable or it doesn't make sense in this one situation in which you would think that there would be an exception, but there's not officially an exception, but we all know there's kind of an exception. And then what happens is eventually that exception kind of gets assimilated. And that's why we say language evolves. Mm -hmm. And that's a great example of it. I mean, we are, what we're doing is breaking the rules often enough that they become the new rule. And we can do that listeners who are familiar with that in the realm of language. We can do that across everything in our life.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like the, the topic of limitation almost goes hand in hand with the topic of fear, which is also something mm. that, you know, you, you mention in the book, Um, you know, just this fear of taking action. Right. And first, first we're hit with the, with the tidal wave of limitation, right? I I can only do so much with what I have. Um, I became a language professional and I now, this is my journey and this is where I should stay. And there's no, there's nothing else, you know, past that horizon maybe is, is the thought. Um, but then let's say that we break out of that limitation and we convince ourselves, but no, I can do more. There's more that I can do with this. I can combine Right. I can combine and, and be creative about this and do something that's a little bit different, maybe, than what everyone else is doing. And then fear sets in
1: <laughs> fear, right. fear, fear. You know, we have this modern society is, let's say, a few hundred years old, the way we live right it, it, it uh, in the last few centuries society has changed dramatically you know from the industrial the agricultural the industrial ages to the information age and all the technology but our hardwiring our like human instinctual programming doesn't move that fast it is thousands and thousands of years the only way it changes is through evolution which means the people who you know die the people who live are left with it, and you know no one is dying based on fear like it was anymore. So we are we are retaining that fear factor. You know, no pun intended. With the TV show, <laughs> the problem is nowadays fear is not does not have the same um weight that it did. Let's say ten thousand years ago. Ten thousand years ago, you were afraid of something because it probably could kill you. Nowadays, you're afraid of something because it can be just kind of scary or hurt your ego. And that's really where it ends most of the time. Yeah. Um, and the problem with that is that we are giving it the same weight as if it can kill us, and it cannot most of the time. I mean, unless you're you know jumping out of an airplane, you can totally be scared. Um, <laughs> and the second part is so. Number one is fear is is like an inherited the weight of fear is overweighted uh, based on our instinctual and inheritance. And the other is that. There's nothing actually wrong with fear to begin with, and it's a common part of being creative or being human. So, for example, I'm a designer. You know, I say in my little intro sometimes, uh, I've designed over 100 products that have gone from nothing to consumer's hands. And you would think like 100, 100 is a lot. And you would think that now I'd be like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Let's do another one. But it's not the case. Every time I start a new project, every new product, I have fear that this will be the one that I don't figure out. This will be the one that I fail. And so, what I'm trying to get at is that as we work on this, you realize that you're not trying to get better at eliminating the fear, you're only getting better at dealing with it. And that's that is of the human condition is you recognize it and then you move on
0: i love that i love that because it's not something that um that we tend to think about in terms of fear i mean fear is felt right um and maybe we feel it in different parts of our body but um we tend to think at least in my experience that that's like the warning sign of step away step back do not do Yeah.
1: (laughs) And it's not, not now. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny you say that step back. It's actually nowadays in this era is a reason to step forward. So my, I don't think I put this in the book, but my uncle Ralph who's been an impactful character in my life. um, I was 13 years old. We're sitting in the McDonald's parking lot and we used to go chill him and i and get um you know a big mac or whatever it was and i said okay uh can you go in and get the food or can and he said no i think you should go in this time and i said oh i can't and and i said he's like why and i said i'm scared to go alone and he grabbed my shoulder and he looked me dead in the eye and he was like because you are scared now you must do it And he made me get out of the car and go buy our lunch and bring it back. And it was another formative moment where I learned that, you know, fear is showing me my boundaries. And if I overcome it, I have just expanded the boundaries of what I'm capable of.
0: Ah. It's so deep because there's just so much there, you know, like thinking, right, like what what that did for you. Number one, of course, now being able to bring it back full circle as an adult and say, like, these are these are the moments that that really help define, um, you know, just just you as the individual and and the way of it helps to shape your way of thinking, I think as well. But I think that that you bring up an excellent point with regards to it nowadays being um, fear, something that is actually kind of like a whisper of maybe you should be doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, it, it, perhaps this is the direction because mm-hmm. we're certainly not getting a loud signal per se of like, yes, yes, go do that. Right. <laughs> it's more mm-hmm. like we're interpreting it as, as fear as don't do it but what if it is that what if that is a right. signal of yes do it right we're just misinterpreting totally. it hey language professionals that's not that's not a pun there <laughs> we're misinterpreting <laughs> the message here <laughs> so yeah i think that the the i mean all of these topics the topics that's why i'm saying it's one of it's quickly became one of my favorite books because all of these topics in one but really to pave the way of of, uh, finding inspiration and to bring in creativity in our daily lives, especially those of us that are doing the work that we love. I think Mm -hmm. that even when we're doing the work that we love, it can get mundane in the sense that, you know, we're doing the same thing over and there might be a different aspect that we want to bring in and we're not doing it because we think it's unrelated or we think that mm. what if nobody likes it or what if nobody comes and listens to, you know, my podcast or what mm. if nobody, you know, any any and all of those things that can come um, that just show up. And and really, in essence, it's it's really fear showing up. You mm-hmm. mentioned quickly, um, uh, Joey, or briefly rather, that that you are now in design. So you went mm-hmm. from majoring in English to being a designer. How did that come to be? You don't. Oh
1: realize. boy! Uh, well, I, I did my four years and wrapped up during the financial crisis of two thousand nine or eight or whatever it was. And so there is no jobs for those, you know, English or philosophy majors, you know, in normal times is very challenging. And then during then it was impossible. And so I, what did I do? I did um, what a lot of people would do is I went and I got a six pack of beer and I drank the whole thing <laughs> and then I just got totally wasted. Uh But then something interesting happened. Uh, In that state of mind, I saw a bunch of markers on my counter in my bedroom, and I had totally white walls because I could not find posters that I liked. So I must have had some sort of level of design sense, at least, because nothing satisfied me. So influenced by this six pack, I drew. I spent like four hours drawing all over my walls, and then I passed out on the bed. Next day, I wake up friends come over. I'm like 22. And someone says, who did this? And I was like, I did it. It's me. <laughs> and they were like, this is amazing. This looks so cool. This like, the, uh, like they loved it. They, they were, you know, taking pictures. And then one of them goes, you should go to art school. And I said, I think I will. And within a month or two, I was moved to New York City. I went to the School of Visual Arts for design, um, more or less. And I went for illustration and switched to design. And then I discovered my passion, which is essentially the same passion I have for English and philosophy is communicating ideas. And design is just visually communicating ideas. And so I leveraged all that I had learned. And I put them in all the projects that I had made at design school. And I excelled because I was you know, competing with 18-year-olds who hadn't had a whole education on some other subject. And so earlier, we talked about this cross-pollination of ideas or practices or interests. This is a great example of I stuck all my philosophy stuff in there. I mean, like crazy, crazy stuff. I was about to curse. Like dualism <laughs> and just all sorts of stuff. And uh, people loved it. And then, you know, just fast forward, I put those three things into Baron Fig, the company that I started, which made it unique.
0: Did you always have that burning desire to do something with design? Did that live in you and and you just weren't letting it out, per se? I mean, or or yeah. what do you think that was? Because, I mean, that's you're right. You're with your story of when you were a kid that the design aspect was already there. You were designing something completely different to, And your desire was there to do something different than everyone else. Yeah. But you went the English route.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. My grandma yelled at me after I like found you know success in design, and she was like, "I told you so! I told you you should have done visual arts." Oh, grandma! And yeah, you know, she was <laughs> right. But I remember back then, I I I was under the false impression, and also I didn't know what design was back then. It was not a popular thing like it is today. I was under the false impression that you couldn't make a living doing that that kind of thing. I, I didn't know any better. You know, the internet was still young. I didn't know anyone personally who was a, a creative professional, let's call it. Um, and so I didn't, as much as I enjoyed it, I'd never saw it as an option. Mm. And uh, it's. A, it, I'm not going to say I, I have the regrets because I definitely don't. Everything played out, you know, pretty interestingly to have a, a curious combination of um, experiences, but it, it is, um, it is a different world. You know, and I—I I think one of my goals once I got into my design career was to how can I make this something that a, a kid, a young kid, could say, "I want to be a designer," or you know, "I want to be a whatever," and and bring that to the forefront because we have so many kids. When I was growing up, I was like, "I want to be Michael Jordan," you know, "I want to be Troy Aikman" or whatever. Um, and it, it the creative professions didn't really have that uh, pervasiveness Yeah. back then.
0: Yeah. Sounds familiar uh, to the language professionals that were always interested in languages. And then they're like, what am I going to do with that? I'm just, I don't want to be a teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's beautiful. I love that because that I, I feel like that's part of... Um, the, this platform is really being able to highlight those professions that I mean, in my in this specific case, being in the language industry. But um, there's always that opportunity to talk about professions that don't get the same light as as other professions do, yeah. right? It's other popular ones, or right. um, so. So I find that I find that amazing that you know to have the opportunity to ask how that even came to be, because there's a lot of things. I think that many guests that have come on the show have talked about. um, They always felt that desire, but never really acted on it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's like the people themselves that surround you are telling you, in your case, your friends came over and like, hey, that's great. You (laughs) you know, and you're like, you could have easily been like, nah, that was just a drunken moment.
1: (laughs) I had no other options. It came at a good time.
0: (laughs) That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, I think that opportunity showed up and knocked on your door and you answered. And that's, I think that's something that we're always talking about, too, is, you know, not ignoring those. Sometimes they come in the form of whispers or, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. loud, like your friends came in and like, you need to do something about it. And speaking of taking action, Joey, like i I think that I'd like to get into the the this topic of I told you guys this book was super great. I mean it's jam-packed with all kinds of, of um just great momentums, if you will, so that you know, we're really getting into the conversation of not just bringing in uh, creativity and really working on the creativity and working past our limitations and fears. But Joey also does an amazing job of bringing in the topic of um, actually taking action. So Mm -hmm. it's one thing to think about all these things and saying, yeah, I'm gonna do it and convince ourselves I'm I'm gonna get this done. And then wah, 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 it just Mm -hmm. sits there. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about this topic
1: yeah there's there's I actually thought when I was originally writing this book, I thought, okay, I'm going to put in you know the process of creativity from zero to to publishing whatever it is you make. And I went and I interviewed a bunch of people, and I realized that actually a lot of people know how to make something or the process, but it was their thinking that was off to prepare themselves for it. So, for those of you listening, can we break the, the the silence on the name of the book? Can I say?
0: And let's do it. Let's finally <laughs> unveil.
1: <laughs> okay. Would you like you could say the name since you're you've held the suspense?
0: The name of now one of my favorite books is The Laws of Creativity. Unlock your <laughs> originality and awaken your creative genius.
1: Boom. Thank you so much. <laughs> so there's three parts to the laws of creativity. Part one is the mindset of how to think creatively. And part two is the process of how to do the creative process from start to finish. And then part three is about how to be excellent. And I think it's called greatness. Um, And so there's a piece in part two where it's like, you've thought about it and you've thought about it. And now it's time to actually work and do it. And I call that jumping in and it's the law of beginning. And I'm going to, I'm going to read it, which it says by its very nature, Your creative destination cannot be perfectly predicted or precisely planned for. Do not waste time wondering about what could happen. Instead, take sensible precautions and simply begin. And this reminds me, I went to a talk years and years and years ago, and a gentleman on stage said something similar to this, and I think I changed it to be more um, elegant, which is, you are always and never ready. Mm. it's extremely important because this moment, this stage of finally saying, I've got my great idea. I'm going to give it a shot. This is where everybody tends to fall off. And so I, I want to communicate if there's nothing else that you get from this conversation is that understand that you're always and never ready for whatever it is that you're going to do for the, if it's the first time you're doing it, I'm creating a product line right now at Baron fig, something I've never done scares the crap out of me. I have no idea I'm going to accomplish this specific challenge. And instead of trying to read and read and read to prepare myself, I'm jumping in and I'm designing first so that I am going to hit those walls hard and then slowly pick apart and go read if I need to. But I the the problem is the challenge is not feeling like you need to be totally prepared because If you do that, you will never feel totally prepared and you will never go do it. You know, ask any parent, did you feel totally prepared before having kids? No, I don't think so.
0: (laughs) The answer is heck no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so this is the same thing. So you need to just go ahead and jump in. And um, I put, you know, I put there's two, there's two mantras in the book. Um, you know for your logical self or your emotional self, it really depends what's holding you back but there are some people who are fueled more by the logic and the reason and so for your logical self, you say it is unreasonable to expect to get things right on the first try. I will not wait until I feel ready for that feeling to come instead I will begin with the understanding that failure is a part of the process. I am always and never ready. But then there's the emotional self which we haven't touched upon as much and is that when someone, puts themselves out there to try something, there are a lot of folks who identify with what it is they do so much that if they fail, they feel like they are a failure. And that is really important that you separate yourself, that a failure is not only common, it is normal and frankly necessary. Like, who are you to think you're going to get it right on the first try? Excuse me. (laughs) Right,
0: I like, come that. on.
1: Uh, so anyway, the mantra for your emotional self for folks who tend to identify more is I am not my creations, however important they are to me. Ultimately, my creativity and the things I create is just one aspect of my identity. My failures and my successes do not define me, and with either one of those, it helps you ground yourself. And get started.
0: I love it. And mantras, by the way, now that these um, ideas or or when fear shows up, and sometimes fear shows up, you know, verbally and telling us things like, "Who do you think you are?" Mm. There's no space here for you anymore, right? Mantras. Now, yeah. I'm I'm starting to apply that myself. Joe, oh yeah. I want you to know.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you get to the part about me in an airplane yet? Um, where I had a panic attack.
0: Yes, yes, because uh, I could relate to that as well. Okay, that's, that's so what your I'll, mantra. Uh huh.
1: Yes, I'll I'll tell briefly for everyone out there. So I had a I had a terrible experience going to a wedding in Japan, and I was in the hospital, and I made it home, and then like a year later, I had to go another trip, and I had to go to China, and I thought I was fine, but when I got there, I immediately had what I learned later was a panic attack. I had never had one. Mm. I felt no logical. Uh, thoughts, there was something below the surface that was making me hyperventilate and breathe heavy. And I freaked out that I could not leave my hotel room. And so at the time, I had no idea what was going on, but I knew I just needed to get home to figure it out. So I got a plane ticket thanks to a friend who helped me. I got on that plane and it was a 16-hour flight home and I was, I could barely breathe. And I In that moment, came up with the mantra, ridiculous um, as it may sound. It was, "I am a champion." And I said, I think I said in the book, I did the math. I said this like nineteen thousand times, as because I realized that if I said this phrase constantly, I my mind couldn't produce thoughts that would freak me out. And so I just filled my head, "I'm a champion. I'm a champion. I'm a champion. I'm a champion." For sixteen hours. And eventually made it home. So there's tremendous power in mantras. Um, And, you know, my, I think it's another one of those things that people could look at and be like, oh, that's a really abstract, you know, hoity-toity type of concept, but really it's very grounded, you know, when you kind of test it out.
0: Very much. I know. Yeah. I, I I know. I always, I, I use the word woo-woo. It's like, oh, me yeah, no. woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. It's so woo-woo,
1: right? But it's not <laughs> woo-woo. And but you give, give it a try. Yeah.
0: No, it's totally not. You know what? I, I mean, and I'm going to share too, like I applied it, you know, when I, when I started thinking All of these thoughts suddenly like came rushing in because when they come, oh my goodness, it's like a tidal wave, right? It's like it takes over completely. And the first thing, of course, is realizing that they're actually happening. I mean, that's like your first like in the moment, like, wait a minute. Mm
1: -hmm. I know what
0: this is, right? And then it was like, oh, I learned, I just learned this. So I got to use a mantra. And so I start, I start using it and it completely does away with, with not just what you're hearing, but what you're visualizing or you're seeing. And so when I when I supplanted that with with a mantra that was what I'd like to see, then the visual, even the visual imaging that was coming across, and it made me feel more relaxed. It made me feel better. And I was thinking, it's like it's like this rocket science. Supposedly, it's to- fascinating. It's amazing, but it's yeah. not. It's so easy. Yeah. And we we don't even. We don't use it. We don't see. It. I mean it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was thanks to your book as well. I'm just Wonderful. saying. See.
1: <laughs> Did you know that if you, even if you're feeling crappy, if you smile, your brain releases um, dopamine and makes you happier. I had you know? heard.
0: I had heard that. I don't know if I've
1: actually. Yeah, I tested it. I've tested it. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, it's it's wild because you'll be in such a crappy mood, and then you're like, okay, I'm smiling, <laughs> and the brain does it. You actually feel better. Oh, it's, wow, it's wild. Yeah, so mantras are the you know the thought version of that.
0: And it's a funny because our kids, you know, for for us that have children, will will tell us when they see us grumpy, pre coffee, uh, you know, moment, smile. Well, at least mine do. So <laughs> smile, you can take <laughs> Now I'm going to remember, like, oh, actually, maybe I should, so that I could, I could actually feel better. Um, oh my gosh, we're getting close to the end of our conversation, and it's just there's so many great topics. Um, but I do want to make sure that I'm leaving the audience with some actionable things that they can start applying. Uh, number one, hopefully, of course, is getting your hands on this book because you know I, mm. I feel like it's well for me at least. Uh, I love enjoy reading. I I do absolutely believe. Um, you know, that success leaves clues. And for me, it's the authors that are always sharing their experiences in written form and what has helped them. And I believe this is this is just one of those treasure books. So I'm hoping that that's the first action that they take. Um, But aside from that, I think that there's another very important piece to to, you know, the the laws that you've created. And I know it it sounds funny, right? Laws for creativity. But I mean, Mm -hmm. there some of us need that. we need that structure. Yeah. And and the last topic is having to do with consistency because I think that you we mm. touched on this very briefly when we start something and we think that um potentially the fact that it didn't I don't know that it didn't blow up or to use to use today's terms that it didn't go viral that that that's a sign you know, that perhaps we need not be in this or not continue with our journey. But I think that you, you do touch uh, beautifully on the topic of consistency and making sure that we're, we're showing up often enough to where we're, we're making a, we're making a difference or an an indentation in whatever it is that Mm -hmm. we're trying to do. So could we talk a little bit about um, just consistency in our work and what we're trying to do?
1: Yeah, there's a chapter. um, It's the first chapter in the excellence section, and it kicks things off. And it's it starts with a story about Albert Einstein, which I'll let everybody. So
0: good. uh, I know. Stories are so good. Did you know I was sharing them with my 10 year old and he's like, really, is this from the book you're reading? I was like, yeah, it's not great. (laughs)
1: that's awesome that's so cool the
0: family affair guys
1: (laughs) yeah yeah my well my first goal was to entertain and my second goal is to inform because if i don't have your attention then no matter how hard i try i can't inform anything so i'm glad you enjoyed um but the law of showing up says do the work and you'll reap the rewards attempt to skip to the end or cheat the process and you yourself will be skipped over or cheated out and that's so important because you hear a lot about um people you know saying get rich quick or you know do this quick or do this fast and it goes against the very nature of actually succeeding so there's there's something i call the zeitgeist inflection and it's it refers to the illusion of success um because you know einstein got incredibly popular people called him a genius an overnight genius okay he was i don't know let's say he was 40 maybe when i forget the exact age 35 40 when he released his 3 world-changing theories. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh my God, he's a genius. He's brilliant. My goodness. The zeitgeist inflection is literally the inflection point at which uh, someone enters the mainstream. And the problem with that is that the mainstream has no vision, no ability to see all the work that led to that inflection point. So Mm -hmm. Einstein actually worked quietly in his little patent office for, I think, 20 years on these things, 20 years developing his ideas before he published them. Yet we don't give enough credit to that. And what happens is, unfortunately, when we see, oh, my God, Einstein published these things, he's a genius. And we don't look at the work. Now we think, well, we can never do that because the work was never shown. And that is really, really, really important to understanding. How people get to where they are, because they don't become famous at the beginning of the process. They become, you know, famous if they're going to be famous at some inflection point years later. And realizing that is your first step towards being great yourself is that I, I need to show up. I need to put in the work like Einstein, hopefully not for 20 years, but maybe. Right. <laughs> and at some point, I have flip, a flip of switch will flip where I will reap those rewards. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, that that point for me was it's true. We we do think about um, you know, that overnight success happened overnight. And and the the actuality is that yeah, like you said, we don't see the work that went in behind that. Um, and that could have been years of work. Some of us won't even dedicate a year's worth of work yeah. to to our vision, to yeah. our dream, right? And so, and we, you know, or or If we don't see it become successful immediately, then we want to give up on it. And and I feel that that's why it was it was important for me to highlight the fact that um, consistency does play a role in this uh, or call it what you will. But it is a matter of of continuing to show up and continuing to do the work. Um, I'm always amazed to see when people are still connecting on something that they've seen that maybe was created years ago and, you know, it's, it's left out there in the ethers of the universe and you're like, Oh, it's forgotten. But then there's a new generation or a new, new person that is just coming up with this, with the topic, right. That you created Mm -hmm. so long ago and they come across it and they're inspired. And, you know, so it's, it's, I feel like it's this work that's continuous that we're continuing to put out, especially if we're in the creative Side, I think that you know when we're pushing out content and we're pushing out information, um, you know, it's just like a trail of breadcrumbs that we're leaving for well, I don't know what may ultimately be, you know, that that one breaking point moment that you that you talk right. about in the book, Joey. It has been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Such a privilege to be able to bring and highlight some of these topics that uh, you mentioned in your book. Before we get to the close, is there anything that you would like to share with this particular audience with regards to creativity and how to kind of maybe inspire them to tap into that side of what's naturally there already? They just don't, they don't remember.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there is one more thing that I always love to share because I want to hit it as many times as I can because I think it's 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 one of the most important and easy to assimilate ideas from the book. We've all heard the phrase "quality over quantity," right? And it's correct. It's, It's nice to it's better to have one thing that's nice than a bunch of mediocre things. But the problem is that this phrase speaks to the destination rather than the journey. So it doesn't actually tell you how to get quantity. just says really nice stuff is good. That's like saying, go to the gym and be strong. Okay, we're missing a few
0: steps.
1: (laughs) So I used to teach um, design and the intersection of design and business. And simply put, quality over quantity is correct, but quantity begets quality. So if you want to be good at anything, you know, practicing your language of choice or your languages of choice or talking in front of a group. Do not focus on being really good in the moment. Focus on doing it a lot and the good comes of its own accord. And that's what I leave everybody with.
0: Amazing. Joey Cofone, thank you so very much. For those of you that are interested in getting the book At the close of this episode, now you can go hurry, run, and go look for The Laws of Creativity, Unlock Your Originality, and Awaken Your Creative Genius. Such a powerful title for such powerful steps and uh, just a powerful concept. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for putting your work out there, your inspiration out there for those of us that were seeking to be inspired So you hit the mark that at least for this little gal here. So thank you, Joey.
1: Well, Mariah, thank you for inviting me. Everybody out there, thank you for listening to the end at this point. I know I'm not a language professional, so I appreciate your open-mindedness in uh, hearing a little bit about creativity. And I hope that um, you've come away with something interesting for yourself.
0: Indeed. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the Connect With Me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.